Labels. Society makes them. We all wear them. Some labels fit perfect. Some are the wrong size. Some are just plain wrong. Mom said I was a mistake. Dad didn't stick around. I felt lonely, scared, like I didn't fit in. Labels can be powerful, and some labels lie. Only God can give a label that brings hope, confidence, strength, freedom, a new identity, a label big enough to live in. Life gives lots of labels, but there's only one label maker. All right. Good morning, everybody. I want to welcome you to Liquid. I'm Pastor Tim. Glad you're here for our spring series, Label Maker. Before we dive in, first, we got to celebrate. Wow, uh, what an Easter. This is my first time seeing some of you since Easter weekend. And we had incredible uh, celebration. At all six of our campuses, we had capacity crowds over 6,000 men, women, and children come to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Very, very exciting. So thanks for inviting your family and friends. I'm so glad they were here to, you know, hear the message about the good news moving from dead to alive uh, through faith in Jesus Christ. Um, I'm happy to report we actually had dozens and dozens of people pray to trust Christ as their Lord and Savior for the first time. Always thrilling. Let me tell you two quick uh, salvation stories. One, in uh, Union County, there was a woman named Jennifer who uh, came forward for prayer after she prayed to, to trust Christ. First time at Liquid, and she was facing a, uh, a serious situation. She has an inoperable brain tumor in her brain stem, and she's a single mom, two daughters, four and eight years old. And she said, you know, this message really spoke to me because I know now that I have hope that no matter what happens, I'll be with Christ forever. I'll be with my daughters forever. And we can have hope that we'll be with him forever. And that's incredible, right? I mean, it's a privilege when we're able just to walk with people through difficult situations. If you're facing one, we'd love to support you and encourage your whole family. Uh, Another man who came forward uh, had just received his third kidney transplant. And he said, the message was very powerful for me because he said, you know what? I honestly don't know if this one will take. He said, but you know what? As I, as I came to trust Jesus for salvation, I feel completely at peace no matter what happens. He says, I now know who holds my future and where that's going. And finally, I love the photos that some of you guys took holding these different Easter labels, especially this one. This is Julian. He's six years old. He actually has cerebral palsy. And you can see he's in a wheelchair. He's never been able to walk. But he said, I want to hold that sign. He is risen. And his mom said, that's right, Julian, because Jesus rose, you too will rise someday. He will run and jump in the presence of Christ. That's hope, amen? So thank you guys for just inviting your family and your friends. And I just want to say, hey, if you're one of the persons who, who said, you know what, I'm, I'm praying to receive Christ as my Savior, your next step is to get baptized this spring at your campus. Uh, in three weeks, we're hosting spring baptisms at all liquid campuses. And guys, this is our only baptism of the year, okay? We kind of roll in the hot tubs and we're, we're doing that this spring. So <clears throat> if you're a Christian or, um, or, or maybe, uh, you know, you're just returning to church and you've never been baptized, this really is the next step in your spiritual journey. Um, Jesus himself was baptized and he gives this command to all who follow him. In fact, before he returned to heaven, Jesus gave this, these were his final words to his disciples. He said, go and make disciples of all nations doing what? baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Okay, that's where we get that, you know, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Catholic Church didn't make that up. Okay, that's actually the words of Jesus. 
And it's why we do baptisms at Liquid, because it's really a central sign of your faith in Christ. So if you're a, a new Christian, or maybe you're like, you know what, I've just, I, you know, sprinkled, but I was never immersed or baptized as an adult. This really is your next step in following Jesus. Uh, it's very simple on Baptism Sunday. Uh, your campus leaders will all be wearing bathing suits. We meet you in the hot tub, and our team designed some pretty cool baptism t-shirts this spring. Uh, they're black with the kind of a pink alive label, and you'll wear that on Baptism Sunday. You can keep it after. And when you go down under the water, it's like you're identifying with the death and the burial of Jesus. When you're raised up out of the water, you're identifying with what? His resurrection, right? Washed clean of sin, raised to new life in Christ. And uh, all you need to do is sign up at the baptism booth in the lobby after today's service. In fact, we'll give you a baptism bag. And in there is the dates and the times, the details. We'll even give you invitations so you can invite your family and friends. So make sure you take advantage of that. And then in three weeks, we'll, we'll uh, celebrate and commemorate your salvation as well. Now, today, I want to talk about a brand new label that uh, God gives us after we trust in Jesus, because <clears throat> you don't just go from dead to alive, the language of the Bible, you probably noticed, it's family language, right? God the Father sent God the Son to adopt us as sons and daughters of God. And adoption really is one of the most beautiful, warmest doctrines of the Christian faith. And so today, I want to talk about what it means to go from abandoned to adopted by God. And this is a powerful truth, especially if you didn't grow up in a home that was maybe the most warm or, or loving, or maybe you had a difficult relationship with, uh, you know, your father. Maybe dad was distant, or, or he abandoned the family, or maybe one of your parents was abusive. Maybe you were raised feeling the need to perform for your parents to earn their uh, affection, right? You got to be perfect if they're going to show love to you. You know, a lot of times what I find is we project those negative feelings onto God, in fact, I know a lot of Christians think, they, they go, well, you know, when I was converted to Christ, I know now God forgives my sins in the past. But now my present struggles and anything in the future, that's mine to handle, right? All alone. From now on out, I need to perform and prove I'm worth loving and saving. But that's a misunderstanding of the Father's heart. It really is. It's not what God is like at all. I have good news. Your heavenly Father is not like you know, the best of earthly fathers. His love for you is not based on your performance, so the pressure is off. Because of what Christ did for you on the cross, God has adopted you into his family, and he has said, I will never forsake you, I will never reject you, no matter what happens in life. See, God is not only perfect, he's perfectly loving, and you are a source of great pleasure to him. If, if, guys, if you really grasp your identity, as a fully forgiven, treasured child of God Almighty, it's a game changer. My prayer for you this morning is that this truth will go from your head to your heart, and because it will change your whole outlook and approach to life. And so I want to talk today about flipping this label from abandoned to adopted by God. And to explore that, I want to look at Ephesians chapter 1. So you can flip in your phone or, or turn in your program notes. We printed it in the, uh, the scripture in your notes. This letter was written by the Apostle Paul around 60 AD to Christians living in the city of Ephesus. And in chapter 1 of Ephesians, Paul kind of opens his letter with these majestic words. He says, All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with, what's it say? 
every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. Even before he made the world, God, what? He loved us and he chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. You're perfect in God's eyes. God decided in advance to, here it is, adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do all along, and it gave him what? Great pleasure. Guys, these are life-changing words. It's a whole change of identity as an adopted son or daughter of God. You know, a lot of people have different pictures of God. He's, you know, this judgmental guy in the sky, a distant deity. He's waiting to knock me into line. But according to, to Paul, who is God and what did he do? Paul's like, well, first off, God is your father who watch. He loved you even before he created the world. He had his sights set on you. He, he chose you. He said, I want Sean. I want Lisa. I picked that one. He adopted you into his own family through faith in Jesus. He, he brought you to himself. He sees us without fault, without blemish. And this gave your heavenly father great what? What's it say? Great pleasure. Did you know you are a source of pleasure to God? He looks at you and actually fills him with delight. He doesn't just love you because like, well, God's love. He has to love me. He actually likes you. <laughs> That's a thought for some of you. That's what it means to be adopted by God. But let's be honest, we have a hard time understanding this, right? Because the concept of like God's love, it's so deeply filtered by the imperfect love that we've experienced growing up, right? Even the best parents like are imperfect. In fact, we can't even make like a quick comparison to like adoption in modern culture. We have to go back. We got to go back to Roman times, to first century culture, when this letter to the Ephesians was first written. So I want to take a quick trip, all right? We're going to time travel. Here we go, ready? And we are now back in Ephesus, okay? Now, you probably remember Ephesus, right, from our study of the seven churches of Revelation. Uh, Modern-day Turkey, these are the beautiful ruins you'd see if you visited Ephesus. It was this mega city in Asia Minor, actually home to a quarter million people, and the Temple of Artemis. That's one of the seven wonders of the world. Again, a lot of people go there today. It was on the coast. It had a seaport. And this was considered the commercial hub of Asia Minor in the first century. And here's the new fact that you need to understand. Ephesus was deeply influenced by Greek culture, specifically Alexander the Great, who conquered Asia and spread his philosophy of Hellenism, which emphasized the perfection of the human body. You can see it in all the Greek art of that time, like these, this Greek statue, it's called uh, Discobolus. I want to thank Pastor Nithin for modeling this for us. Um, <clears throat> right? We're talking about like the perfect body, right? Like, you know, the, the chiseled, you know, abs of steel, rippling muscles, poised like a Greek god. It's a human. That's what the ideal was. The, the Greek culture emphasized perfecting yourself. That's the goal of life. You perfect yourself physically. You perfect yourself intellectually. It's about perfecting the human form. Hellenism was humanism. It said man is the measure of all things. And so from early on, children were actually changed that, trained that way. In Ephesus, little boys, they wouldn't go to school. They went to the gymnasium where they were trained in athletics. They actually had physical competition. They studied philosophy, math, and music. And then the elite kids went on to perform as adults in the theater 
of Ephesus. And this is, you can visit this today. It seats 26,000 people. It's bigger than Madison Square Garden. And so the whole city would come out and see the young adults, the elite, you know, of Ephesus perform and compete on this massive stage. And so they understand the Ephesians, they love their athletes, their Olympic heroes, because they represented the best and the brightest in Greek culture. So understand, there was no tolerance for like the weak in Ephesus. There was no room for a child who was like less than or lacking in any way. So if you were an Ephesian father or mother and you were going to have a baby, you prayed for a perfect child, which in Greek culture meant three things. That baby better be healthy, he better be strong, and he better be a boy. (laughs) You see, in first century, females were considered a liability. It was a patriarchal culture. Because unlike males, they said, well, you know, females can't carry on the family name. Uh, Girls require a dowry, so they're a liability. They're a drain on the inheritance. And so Ephesian parents prayed for healthy, strong baby boys. No tolerance for weak kids. No tolerance for babies born with deformities or disabilities. And so this created a culture where babies were routinely abandoned. In Ephesus, it was actually legal to abandon your baby. Here's how it worked. In Ephesus, as soon as a newborn baby was born, the baby was taken and actually placed before the father's feet because the father was called the paterfamilia. I mean, he held the power of life and death. He could either accept or reject this child. So when the baby was born, they symbolically would place the child at the father's feet. And if the father wanted the child, he would reach down and and pick up that baby, look him over and hold it and turn and he would take it home. But if he looked at it and saw some imperfection or just seemed strongly or struggling, he could reject it. And in that case, he would leave the baby there and symbolically turn his back and walk away. Now, what happened to those children? The baby was abandoned. Typically, a slave or a family servant would come and they would take the baby out of the house to a place that is located right at the city gates of Ephesus. It was a horrifying place called the baby dump, where children would be left outside to suffer death by exposure. That's what it was called under Roman law. This was part of the culture. In Ephesus, it was completely legal to take your unwanted child and leave them exposed to the elements, exposed to the the cold where they would suffer and die naturally of hypothermia, or exposed to the blazing sun where they would die of heat or, or dehydration or starvation. Or worse, the baby dump in Ephesus was well known as a feeding ground for wild animals. Understand, the father could do this for any reason at all. If the baby was a girl and, and he wanted a boy, if the baby had a defect that the dad didn't like, there was a, a blemish or there was a birthmark or there was a deformity or deficiency of some way. Maybe the child was just born premature and was just kind of weak or, or, or kind of scrawny. Dad could turn his back, walk away, and the baby was thrown in the trash. We're horrified. That's Ephesus. That was commonplace in the first century culture of the Greeks. If you walked in the city at night, historians say, sometimes you could hear tiny cries coming from the dump outside the city gates. The voices of children who'd been abandoned by their moms and their dads. Ephesus was a culture where people abandoned their children who were unwanted, and those children were doomed to die unless, unless, at night, sometimes, slave traders would come. And slavers would actually rummage 
through the trash and find the babies who had not died from exposure yet. And they would take the children home. They would take the baby boys home to raise and then sell into slavery. And the little girls they would take home and raise to sell into prostitution. So understand if you were abandoned in Ephesus by your father, you had three options, death by exposure, or you were sold into slavery or sold into a prostitution. It is horrifying, it's barbaric, completely normal in Ephesus. This is first century culture. In fact, I came across this week in my research this first century document written by a family physician, a doctor in Ephesus, who it's called How to Identify a Child Worth Raising. And the doctor actually gives instructions to the moms about how to measure the limbs, how to measure the circumference of the head of the baby, look over the quality of the ears and the eyes. He gave clinical instructions about which children you should keep and raise and which to throw in the garbage. Into this city, where babies were routinely abandoned, a traveling preacher named Paul walked through those city gates past that dump in 53 AD, and he wrote the letter you're holding in your hands. And these people, Paul said, this is not the truth of God. The truth of God is that the living Lord, creator of the heavens and earth, out of great love and his eternal grace, has adopted you into his family. What would that mean to you? Go back and read Ephesians 1. Let this hit your heart. Even before he made the world, God loved you and he chose you in Christ to be holy and without fault, no fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt you into his own family by bringing you to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what God always wanted to do. And it gave him what? Great pleasure. To people who were rejected, discarded, dumped, Paul says, I have good news. God is not Greek. God is your father. And he picked you, he chose you, he pulled you off the trash heap and he adopted you into his family through Jesus Christ. Amen? You're not abandoned. You have a new identity. You are a child, a treasured child of the king. You're a son and co-heir with Christ. You are a beloved daughter of God. And the Ephesians were stunned. No one had ever delivered such news before. Do you understand what Paul was saying? He's saying, guys... You are no longer defined by who threw you out, but by who took you in. That's who you are. It no longer matters who abandoned you, but who accepted you. It doesn't matter if biological didn't bother. You still have hope and a future because your heavenly father picked you up. He picked you out and he took you home and you're his. And through Christ, you belong to his family now and forever. Your identity is not based on who threw you out, but who took you in. And God doesn't make any garbage, amen? He doesn't make garbage. Every child in this room, weak, strong, big, small, you know, strong, scrawny, uh, uh, special needs, is created in the image of God. And God don't make any junk. No garbage. He takes us from the trash and he says, this is my treasured child, who I call son, who I call daughter. And that truth hit the Ephesians in the heart. I pray it hits you in the heart too. Because I talk to so many men and women who live with this nagging sense of rejection or inferiority. You know, maybe your biological father or, or mother wasn't there for you. Or he was absent or, or abusive. 
or abandoned your family, and, and you've grown up under this kind of, you know, cloud of rejection, like, I, I don't think I'm worthy of love. I never got the affection that I craved. I have met adult men, grown women, who, people who are like very successful in business, but they struggle privately wondering, am I good enough? Am I successful enough? Am I pretty enough? Am I perfect enough? Am I worth loving? And they spend their lives seeking this affirmation and affection they deserve, but never received as a child. Is Hellenism alive and well in America? You better believe it. Look at the magazines on the racks. We value perfect bodies. We worship athletes. And babies we don't want, we throw away. It reminds me of the television show, This Is Us. Any of This Is Us fans here? Okay, you're already crying. Okay. <laughs> family drama about the Pearson family. Jack, uh, father, Rebecca, mom here. They have triplets, but one of them dies in childbirth. But on that same day, another child is brought to the hospital Randall, who was abandoned by his father, is a little black boy who was actually left on the doorstep of a fire station on the same day. And Jack, the father, takes him in and adopts him as his third child. And so this is us. It's this incredible, it's really well-written family drama about these three kids who are so different, right? Kevin grows up to be this, you know, super good-looking actor. Uh, You know, Kate is obese. She struggles with her weight. Randall is brack black and brilliant, and they're all like totally different, and the family is flawed, but they love each other deeply. And one of the main storylines is how Randall worries because he's adopted. He doesn't look like his brother or sister. He wonders if his his dad really loves him. And so Jack takes his adopted son, Randall, to work one day, and this is what they talk about. You love coming to work with dad, huh? I wanted you here because I need your help with something. What's that? That is a house the company's working on. Cool. Yeah. You see, uh, you see, I don't know how many feet of two by four I'm gonna need for this wall right here. You see how how each how each inch is is three feet. Twenty two and a half feet. Wow. That's pretty cool, buddy. I didn't know you're so good with numbers. Wait, wait, wait. Come here. What about this wall? Right here. How many, how many do I need for that? I don't know that one. You knew how to do it a second ago. Now you don't? I don't know it, Dad. I think you do. I don't. Randall, that's enough. Come here. I don't want to. Look, this wall right here. How much do I need? I don't Tell me the answer. Know. I don't know. What's that? 34. That's right. Why are you pretending not to know this stuff, huh? Getting B's in math, not letting people see how smart you are. I don't want to be different from them. Different from who? who? The kids at school? If I get an A, I'll get ice cream and Kate and Kevin won't. And then they'll hate me. Can I be honest with you, man to man? You know, your mom and me, we always try to treat you kids the same. Always have. 
hasn't always worked because, well, you're not all the same. You're adopted, and we don't talk about that enough. Because to me, you are every part my son. Maybe I, I don't want you to feel like you stand out. But I need you to know something. I want you to stand out. I want all of you to be as different as you can possibly be in all the best ways. I love you as much as a human heart can, kiddo. You are an exceptional young man. So don't let your dad's poor choice make you feel afraid to be different, okay? watching that on the couch with my wife and, you know, Randall's crying and now my wife is crying, I'm crying, you know, right? Powerful moment when, when a father takes his son's face in his hands and he says, even though you're adopted, you are every part my son and I love you as much as a human heart possibly can, you know, total, total tearjerker. And I was thinking to myself, I was like, you know, Jack is a good dad, but at the end of the day, he has a human heart meaning it's finite, it is limited. But your father in heaven has an infinite heart, which means that his love for you is, there is no limit to it. Do you understand what this means? Because you have been adopted as a son or daughter of God, it means there's nothing you can do to make God love you any less. And there's nothing you can do to make God love you any more. He already loves you. Yes, you, right now, as much as an infinite, all-powerful God is capable of. You are every part his son or daughter, and nothing you do will ever change that, which means the pressure's off, amen? You don't have anything to prove. You don't have to perform, because his love for you isn't based on what you do, but what Christ did for you on the cross, and now our job is to actually just receive that love and live out of that grace. That's your new identity. You're a treasured child of the king. You're a, you're, you're a treasured daughter. You are a beloved son, co-heir with Christ. Guys, living out of your identity as an adopted child of God will change your life. Because when you realize the pressure is off, that your heavenly father delights in you, it can heal even the deep wounds that some of us carry from our families of origin. You can stop living your life out of fear and pressure and be set to free to just live in your Abba's love. Never forget this. As Jack taught Randall and Paul taught the Ephesians, your identity as a child of God, it isn't based on who threw you out, but who took you in. You understand what that means for you? Listen, I, oh, get this. Get this. I'm serious. Some of you are like, I, I'm, I'm thinking about this idea. We got to move it 16 inches from your head down to your heart. Imagine this letter Paul wrote to the Ephesians was actually written to you and to me because it was. Let's personalize this. I want to read this out loud, but we're going to read it personalized. Imagine you got this note from your father in heaven tomorrow. Even before I made the world, God loved what? Me. And he chose me in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt, say it, 
me into his own family by bringing me to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him what? Great pleasure. Do you know how God feels about you? He looks at you, and you are a source of pleasure, of delight. This is so hard for some of us to internalize. I meet so many Christians who just live with this nagging sense of guilt, like God looks at them and sort of like, oh, here we go. Barely tolerating them or, you know, sort of distant, just disappointed because they really aren't doing enough for measuring up. And we beat ourselves up. I could be trying harder. I could be doing more. And then maybe God would like me. See, we, we, we project that performance mentality from our parents. And it's like, well, love is given if I perform. And you project that idea onto God. But the Bible says, no, that's not what God is like at all. Your father's love is not, un- it's not conditional. It's based on grace. It means he loves you, not because you're so great, because of who he is. That's who he is. He's your father. He's your creator. And there's nothing you have to prove or perform to earn his love. Listen to Zephaniah 3. This is such a beautiful image. It says, the Lord your God is with you. He will take great, what's this word? Delight in you. In his love, he will what? Rejoice over you with singing. And the picture here is literally of a mother like cooing and singing over her newborn child. That's how God sees you. God, God doesn't just love you. He actually likes you. I've had Christians say to me, well, I know God loves me. It's his job. I just don't know if he likes me. He, del- he takes pleasure in who you are. Even if you see faults in yourself, he says, no, no, no. I chose you. I adopted you. You have no fault in my eyes. Guys, this is the father heart of God. And it's beautiful. It'll change your life. Paul, you'll see it through all his letters throughout the New Testament. In Galatians, he says this, but when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, Jesus, born of a woman, to redeem, that means buy back, those under the law, that we might receive, I want to say this phrase, very important phrase, let's say it, adoption to sonship. This is actually a legal term. This is a Greek legal term. Adoption to sonship, was the legal term that says here is now the full legal standing of an adopted heir in Roman culture. And this is super cool because the Roman process of adoption is very different than it is in America. The benefits of being adopted by a Greek and Roman father is number one, the first thing the father had to do, he had to pay out. Not to an adoption agency, he had to pay the debt of his son or daughter. Because remember, a lot of them were sold into bondage And so new father actually paid a fee to redeem them or buy them back out of slavery, which is a picture of what Christ did on the cross. He says, I'm going to pay actually your debt with my blood. And then that child received a new family name. They got all the rights, the protections, and the privileges of their new father. You know, I have a friend, uh, Steve, and his wife, they, they recently adopted a little boy from Russia. And they actually have two sons who are naturally born, but they want a third child they could not conceive, so they decided to adopt. And my friend Steve, he was telling me, he goes, Tim, we were so excited to Skype uh, with our son because he was at, you know, at an orphanage in, in Russia. And he said, and, and, then, and then the whole process, he goes, we got on this plane, we flew to Russia, and we were so excited. And, and, you know, and we brought him home. And now he, has his, he still has his Russian name, but he has our last name. He's in our family forever. And you know what was so cool? My friend said to me, Tim, I'm going to be able to tell my son something that I can't tell my two boys who are naturally born. I'm going to be able to say to my adopted son when he's old enough that mom and I chose you. 
we picked you. There were a lot of, we had our eyes on you and we saw you and we said, I want that one. That's what God says to you. I picked Helen. I picked George. I choose him. Is that beautiful? He chose you in Christ and adopted you to sonship and daughtership. This is the coolest part of all. Under Roman law, if you were adopted into a family legally, you could never be disowned again. Only biological children could be disowned. Some of you parents have felt that urge, right? You've had that moment, right? (laughs) But if you were adopted, you are a son or daughter for life. That's a picture, guys, of the security of your salvation in Christ. You see, when you trust Jesus as your savior, you enter the family of God forever. That identity can never be taken from you. You cannot lose your salvation. No matter what you do, what you don't do, God's your father, his son Jesus is your brother, and they said, I will ne- they will never abandon you or forsake you. Jesus says, no man can snatch them out of my hand. That's how secure your salvation is. It's held in this vice-like grip by father and son for all eternity. You can never lose it. Is that a co- source of confidence to you? That is powerful. That's such a truth. Paul writes in Galatians 4, he says, because you're, you're his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, The spirit who calls out, Abba, what? Father. I think this is the most beautiful blessing of adoption at all. You you don't have to to call him God or Jehovah, Lord Almighty anymore. You just have to call God, what? Abba. Which, yeah, in in Aramaic, it means father, but it's better translated as daddy. Yeah, some of you know that. It is the warmest term of affection and tender endearment between a father and their child. Who is God? If you're here for the first time, like, who is this God? Yes, God is the all-powerful creator of the universe who lives in unapproachable light. But the deepest reality for those who trust in Christ is that God, oh, he's your daddy. He's your Abba. He not only only delights in you, he says, "When when you're scared, run to me. When you're lonely, come to me, curl up on my lap. When you're busted up and you feel rejected, you feel worn out or tired, jump up on daddy's lap and let me make you strong. Pour your heart out to me. Those of you with little kids, you understand how tender this is. You know, when my kids were still little, a lot bigger than this now, when they were this age, they loved to cuddle. But they're in middle school and they're in high school now. Guess what? They still love to cuddle, all right? I'm just gonna tell you, they they do. At night, my son says, Daddy, come snuggle, you know? And I'm like, all right, here we go. You know, and I go in, and, and he's in the bed, and the dog is in the bed, and then I climb in the bed, and we snuggle, you know? My daughter's in high school. She's going to be so embarrassed, you know? I'll be like, get up, get up, you know? She's like, oh, come scratch my back. I think it's a delay tactic, but, you know, I go in and rub her back a little. Let me, can I just say, that's the best moment of my life. It's the best moment of my life. It's like, I got a very short list of things I love that I live to do. It's like, there's preaching, there's fishing, there's snuggling with my kids. And and my kids don't call me Pastor Tim, right? They don't even use formal like, Father, can you come here? As teenagers, they call me Daddy, and I hope they always will. I hope they always will, because there's nothing they ever need to achieve in school or college or their career to make me more happy with them. I treasure them because they're my kids. Do you understand, guys? Your father in heaven feels the same way about you. I'm an imperfect father. How much more? He wants that same kind of intimacy and closeness. 
I look at my kids, I'm like, no brainer. I would lay down my life in a second for them. God already did for you. That's what Jesus did for you. And because you are his sons and daughters, God sent the spirit of his son into your heart, the spirit who calls out Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you're his child, God has also made you what? An heir. And now you get an inheritance on top of it. Bible says you're a co-heir with Christ. You know what that means? What that means for you and me? Everything the Father has reserved for Jesus, he has promised to you. Eternal life, uh, a resurrection body, filling you with the Holy Spirit, a home in heaven where we will rule and reign with Christ in the Father's house forever. Is that a future? No other religion dares make this claim. There's no other religion. You do a study of comparative religions. No religion dares say that God is this personal, this tender, this warm and compassionate that you can call him Abba Daddy. I got an email last week that made me smile. It was from a, uh, a first-time guest to our um, Union County campus in Garwood. And he visited on Easter and he sent this feedback. He said, um, I love the whole experience. Everyone was warm and welcoming. Pastor Keon prayed with me as I'm in a difficult spot right now. I love the way he called our Father God, Daddy. Now, if you've ever prayed with Pastor Keon, you know how he does this. It's awesome. He just goes, all right, let's pray. Daddy God, it's awesome. I love it. It's so cool. He says, I grew up without one. And so God, our Father, really is Daddy. I, I love that. We're going through a tough time, but a victorious one if we allow Jesus to lead us and guide us every step of the way. Guys, I pray that the Holy Spirit gives you a, a spirit of sonship. Because so many of us live with the spirit of rejection, but the Bible says it's like it supernaturally, the Holy Spirit has to divinely download and let you know you're a beloved daughter, treasured child of the King. We're going to pray, we're going to offer prayer at the end of the service in just a couple minutes. I hope you're going to be like him. You're going to come forward, and we're just going to bless you, and we're going to speak the love of God into your life. And it's going to travel that 16 inches from your head to your heart, and it can change everything. I know some of you are saying, like, I wished him I felt it that way. I sing it. I say it. I've, I've heard it a thousand times. How do I move it from my head to my heart? This is a very big challenge, especially if you have been wounded in the past. So let me just tell you the connection the Bible makes for you to internalize the idea of being an adopted child of God. In Galatians 3... Paul actually says, you want the authenticating mark of sonship and daughtership? It's like an adoption. You sign the papers. He goes, the equivalent is baptism. He says, so in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith for all of you who were what? Baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. So if you're a believer, baptism is like how you make your adoption official. Remember, Jesus himself, he's our model, right? So Jesus is baptized, and you guys remember, when he's baptized, what happens? The heaven parts, the Father speaks. He says, this is my son, whom I what? Love. With him, I'm well pleased. In other words, that's my boy. Jesus, I'm so proud of you. I give you a stamp of approval in public. That's what baptism is. In, in baptism, we're publicly proclaiming, you know what? I have my biological family, but spiritually, I am forever a member of God's family. And people have been baptized will tell you, it's, it's one of the ways on that day you experience the Father's love and affirmation in a personal way that you can't just thinking about it. So if you're a follower of Christ, you've never been baptized as your pastor, I'm telling you, you need to do this. 
It's like making the adoption papers official. Remember, your life is not defined by who threw you out, but by who took you in. In Christ, you're a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come, praise God. So you sign up today uh, in a few minutes at the baptism booth when our service ends, and we'll celebrate your adoption in three weeks. For the Ephesians, guys, it changed everything. This label was a game changer. It transformed their hearts, it transformed their world. Because all of a sudden, these people who grew up hearing the cries from the baby dump realized they were going from slave to son. They were going from trash to treasure. And the Father's love transformed their heart and it transformed the world because that's what the purpose of your life is. It's to change the injustice in the world. History tells us that the early Christians in Ephesus started going back to the baby dump at night. And they would actually beat the slave traders there and they would rummage through and they would pick up some of the unwanted children and they would take them home to raise them, not to sell off as slaves, but to rescue and adopt as their own flesh and blood. That's what the early Christians did. That's what the difference their faith made. They started feeding and caring and protecting for for children who were discarded, regardless of their defect. And this was so compelling to the pagan Ephesians. Because in a Greek culture where life was cheap and nothing was tolerated except perfection, the Ephesians said the people who follow Jesus, they welcomed the unwanted. And they said, why? Why do you do that? You know what their answer was? Because our God isn't Greek. My God is Abba Daddy. And I'm made in his image. And so is this little one. And even though the culture wants to put a label of disabled or defect, I'm going to put a label. I simply call him my son. This is my daughter. And so we're going to the baby dump. And we're taking her home. And I'm going to pay her ransom and pay her debt. And she's going to have a new name. And she's going to have an inheritance forever. And we're doing this because we want all these children to understand they're not defined by who threw them out, but by who took them in. Amen? Do you understand that? Let that hit you in the heart. Praise God for adoption, guys. It is one of the most beautiful realities of being a follower of Jesus Christ. That love touched the hearts of the Ephesians. I pray it'll touch your heart today too. So we're going to close by inviting you to come up for prayer today especially those of you who just desperately need to hear the Father's words of love and affirmation. So I'm going to invite out our worship team um, to sing a closing song. This is that beautiful song, Good, Good Father. It's who you are. It's who you are. We're going to play that quietly. And as, as we play this, I want to invite you to actually step out of your seat. We're all going to stand up in a minute, but I'm going to ask you to step out of your seat and just come down one of the aisles at your campus so that our pastors and our prayer ministers can pray for you. They're going to come forward right now. Come on forward, guys. We've been praying already before you even came into this room. And we're going to simply, we're not taking names. We're just saying, hey, come forward. Let us bless you. Let us pray that God makes that connection real from your head to your heart. So let's bow our heads. Father, I pray right now as people come forward for prayer, God, I pray this will be a powerful moment. God, there are certain people who they weren't even thinking they were going to come today, but you drew them because this message is for them. Father God, I pray that there be men here who you have created as husbands and fathers and sons, that you would let them know they are yours. They're your treasured son. And they have everything they need to be the man you designed them to be. That there'd be women, Lord, who maybe have experienced wounds of rejection or abandonment. Father, Holy Spirit, come now. 
Heal those wounds in those hearts. Let them know they're beloved daughters of the king. Thank you, Father God, for this moment. As we're praying, you know, maybe this message touched your heart. You thought, man, I, I want that. I want to know God's love intimately as a father. I saw some of you weeping. That's just the Holy Spirit speaking to your heart, okay? Some of you have struggled with rejection your whole life. I believe this is a moment for God to just break off that spirit of rejection. There is no self-help book that can heal those wounds outside the spirit of God. So when you come forward, we're going to simply bless you. We're here to love on you, minister the spirit's power to you. So can we all stand up? Let's Let's all stand to our feet right where you are for our closing song. And then would you just kind of step back into your row so people can come through. They're going to come through the aisles and they're going to come forward. And our pastors and our prayer team are going to pray for you. Don't be shy. Don't feel awkward. I can out-awkward you, okay? We'll wait here as long as it takes. But, you know, the last service, there was a father who came forward actually with his son. And he said, I need that love for my father so I can give that to my son. That's not weakness. That's a sign of strength. So guys, especially, you just come forward. Let us bless you. Let's minister the father's love to you as we sing of our good, good father. Come forward for prayer.